Room for Two, Episode 42, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galactic Garden. Get it? Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 42 of Shroom for Two, the podcast about life, the universe, and Plants vs. Zombies heroes. I'm Taylor. And I'm Mike. Mainly that last one. I wanted to do a Galactic Gardens retrospective episode, and honestly, I wanted to do it to commemorate the one-year anniversary of the set coming out, but that was like a month and a half ago, so we missed that. So we'll do it now. Cool, yeah, and, and by we'll do it now, we mean we'll do it at the end of the show, because it's our main segment this week. Right. Uh, we got a couple uh, things to talk about at the beginning, though. One is a little bit of follow-up about our previous episode, uh, where we persistently mispronounced the winner of the uh, Reddit tournament's name. Uh, we have been told that that name is Ochiti, uh, Ochiti, I think, which, uh, you know, it's an Italian pronunciation. And I said in that thread that I should have known, uh, you know, when they posted the screenshots and I saw Colezione or whatever um, in, their, uh, in their collection view that we probably were going to do it wrong, but I couldn't think of the right way to say it. So, sorry about that. That's more Italian knowledge than I managed to retain. I remember trying to learn Italian on Duolingo, but that was several phones ago. Uh, yeah, I have, I have some Italians in my family that, like, you know, throw around some random Italian slang like agita and stuff. Oh, yeah, and um, on top of that, I have one little laddering story to tell before we get into the meat of the show. I'm still doing the Listener Elliot Challenge, where I'm playing a different hero on every rank of the ladder. And I noticed that uh, last week, Fry em Up had put out a Valkyrie Infinity deck video mm. where he went 10-0, and 0 and it looked really awesome. And I was like, oh, yeah, that looks really cool. I haven't played Infinity yet. Let me try to copy this and play around with it. And I lost my first seven games in a row playing it. <laughs> and, uh, Ouchies. Yeah, Good thing you can't lose rank. Yeah, yeah, that was definitely, I was stuck on zero stars for a while and uh, ended up going 7-14 and 14 with that, uh, mostly due to my own being terrible at playing Valkyrie decks and a little bit of bad block meter luck thrown in there. So then I, I ended up back at zero stars and decided, all right, screw this, I'm going to play one of my decks, and then promptly went 5-0 and o with a Conjure hybrid. Excellent. And in addition to the podcast coming out this week, we've got a new batch of videos for you on our Shroom for Two podcast YouTube page, where we took a handful of my tournament fights and did a little bit of commentary, retrospective, lessons learned from winning or losing those matches so pop over to our youtube page to check out those yeah we just tuned into the videos one by one and you know gave kind of our thoughts on the different modes of the game and you know tried to pull out some teaching moments and stuff and uh, i think they're pretty cool so you should check them out yeah uh, we had a lot of fun making them so uh, hopefully keep an eye out for more of those in the future and also they're very quick to edit and upload compared to doing the podcast so yeah yeah this is the first time i've ever said this to mike but so mike what would you think about um you know, people being able to send us recorded matches and us having us do commentary on that. Do you think that's something you might be interested in trying? Huh. Yeah, that does sound pretty fun. Um, I don't know, like, I don't, I'm not sure how many of our listeners out there record their matches to begin with or have the ability to, but... Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm a little hesitant to open the floodgates for you know. Oh yeah, just start course, emailing us giant video files. It'll be fine. But yeah, that that does sound pretty fun. I would be down for for watching them and doing a little bit of analysis. Uh, well, so uh, listeners out there, if you think that that would be something that you'd be interested in doing, um, and you know, you think you have the ability to record your own matches in a in a way that we'd be able to see them, 
Um, don't send us any videos or anything yet, but um, but sound off in the comment threads or at uh, shroomfor2podcast at gmail.com, and uh, maybe we'll be able to make something like that happen. I didn't know how long you were going to talk about your ladder thing, so I was like, eh. Plus, I figured that you were going to be doing the um, the heavy lifting on the, what do you call it? The, the video. commentary section. Yeah, yeah. And so, probably not like my greatest decision I've ever made, but, you know. Um, okay, I'm losing, so I can see. <laughs> Time for card of the week, now that we're done playing our ladder matches. And this week, we got the Sap Fling. It is the six-mana smarty card. It is a pinecone tree plant, and it says, when played, make a sappy place environment there. Oh, yeah, and a five attack, three health, and the environment it makes gives zombies there minus three attack. So it's another one of those creature and environment all-in-one card slot cards, like last week. Mm -hmm. What do you think about this, Taylor? This is an interesting card to try to evaluate. So on the surface, it appears very fragile. Uh, The three health on a six-cost card... Uh, means that you are very vulnerable to getting blown out by cheaper things than it. Uh, the specifically cheap things that I think this is the worst against are superpowers from Electric Boogaloo and Zemek. They each have two superpowers that deal with this for one single brain, and that's definitely bad news when that happens to you. However, I think that the Sappy Place environment fills a very interesting mechanical role because it is one of the it is one of the only ways to make a creature less vulnerable to barrel of barrels. Um, because this gives minus three attack, if you have zero attack, you don't deal any damage, of course, which means that if you have deadly, it doesn't matter. And so, despite Sapfling being clunky, I have put it in a few decks because it does something that really no other card does and attaches a, like, okay body to it. What do you think about that? Oh, I hadn't thought about it being a counter to Barrel of Barrels. The, uh... The main synergy I came up with when thinking about uh, the sappy place is shrinking violet and being able mm. to lower something's attack down to the threshold where shrinking violet will kill it and whatever's next door. But um, overall, I think this is a fairly weak card, and I think its weakness is in part to the fact that this is uh, embarking on new territory for a plant. Like, this is one of the first times we've seen body with an environment attached to it altogether, and I, I think, like, what is a 5-3 vanilla body cost? Like, that is what, like, four sun worth of value, I would say? Um, well, four sun is is probably reasonable, yeah, so the, um, it's generally cheaper to have more attack than health, and uh, if you look at the things that are aggressively costed in that way, um, yeah, like Caratillery is a four-cost five-two with team up. In in this case, yeah. it gains one health for losing team up, which sounds kind of fair, pretty much. Yeah, and I mean, and uh, there's you know, Caratillery is basic, so we got a rarity upgrade here to try to put a cost on the Sappy Place. Sappy Place actually does have a printed cost uh, if you like tap on it, but I can't at the moment think about it or think of what it is because you have to um, play it in a match. You have to play it in a match. Like, that card hasn't actually been printed as a standalone card yet. But I would guess it probably is like three, maybe, maybe two. Um, And so if it was two, then you'd be getting, you know, on rate for the creature stats, on rate for the environment. Um, And then so two on rate cards packaged into one adds up to like a good rate. Usually you would pay a premium for getting two cards in one. Hey, future Mike here. The Sappy Place environment is listed as a four sun environment. But I think that 
ultimately this ends up being quite narrow. Um, and, you know, my, my statements before about Barrel of Barrels, like, the way to counter the one-mana awesome removal spell is not with a six-mana creature. Like, that's definitely, you know, a kind of an edge case of what makes Sapling good. Like, if Sapling's going to be good, the numbers are going to have to be good. And the numbers are, like, reasonable. You know, it's like, if you play it with the Sappy Place in its own environment, it's basically a 5-6. Not really, but effectively. Um, and 5-6 for 6 is like, eh, especially leaving a thing behind that's pretty good. Um, yeah, this is really like, if you're going to go to the late game and creature combat still matters, then then this is doing a pair of reasonably useful things. Yeah, and you definitely want to make sure to get some value out of the 5-3 body because, you know, worst case, you're paying 6 brains for an environment and a trade and your opponent paves over the environment right away because, like, that is one of the ever-present dangers of any kind of plant environment thing is like the risk of knowing that your opponent might just have a card to in their hand to neutralize that right away yeah that's uh we'll, we'll talk about that quite a bit i think the sort of the card disadvantage nature of or the high risk nature of environments as a um as a card advantage mechanism um something else to say is that this creature basically gets zero value at all from its tribal uh tag so it's a pine cone tree um, neither of which has any mechanical relevance at all. Uh, so if when you're playing this creature, you're getting what it says on the tin. Yeah, there are... I think there's three pine cones in the game, and let's see, one, two, three, four... There are five trees in the game. So uh, the pools of cosmic tree and cosmic pine cone are still a little bit lacking before those can become real things, but uh, yeah. It's interesting to see, you know, what the mechanical nature of tree or pine cone might be. You know, that's one of the, the sort of directions that they could maybe take the tribal stuff. Um, but, you know, as of right now, they don't really mean anything. Um, and so this is kind of like a medium and narrow, yet effective at interesting things, haymaker for like a mid-rangey smarty deck. Being a six-cost plant is tough because six is about the threshold where the really powerful effects get put on cards. So stuff like Cobb Cannon, Brain Anna, uh, even Toadstool, which will kill a thing right away and start generating your sun. Like the, If you're going to play a card that costs six, you want to make sure it has a really strong enter-the-battlefield effect. Mm -hmm. And um, Sapling, you know, it's definitely not the strongest thing you can do with six sun right away, but uh, if, you're, if you're doing like a long game control-y thing and you want to like, if you want to err on the side of putting more environments in your deck to counter your opponent, then this is the kind of card you would go with. Yeah, I would put this kind of in a similar like mechanical category as like tough beats, um, like a card that doesn't go in every deck because you know you do have to kind of be playing a certain kind of game in order for the um, the ability on it to be relevant, and you're basically just getting stats. Uh, on Tough Beats, they're all on one card, and on this card, they're kind of split across two effects, because, like, you know, you, you could think about it as buffing whatever plant you have in the lane where the Sappy Place goes, um, or, you know, gaining you some life if it's um, in open lane. If you're going to be doing that, um, you're probably going to need to have some closers elsewhere in the deck, um, and there certainly are plenty of things, you know, like Dark Matter Dragon Fruit, Great Zucchini, etc., that can, that can do that, but, you know, it's really... Um, competing for other strong utility cards at that same cost. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Brainana. I would add Tricorn to that list, which is kind of like combination utility card finisher. Like, you know, if you if they don't have very many zombies out, 
this is basically just a 5-3, the sapling is. But if they don't have very many zombies out, the tricorn might just kill them. This is also, um, as far as event cards go, 6 is where the curve taps out, and uh, this and Toadstool are, in fact, the only 6-cost yeah. uh, plant event cards. And uh, as we've seen in the past, more expensive event cards tend to not be the better ones. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's reasonable, you know. It's um, The more versatile a card is, the more likely it is to see play, and high cost just kind of comes at the expense of versatility. Yeah, and the first time they embark on any kind of new, uh, any kind of um, creative groundbreaking, it's going to be a little underpowered, but really that serves as like a like a benchmark for future cards that do the the sort of like creature and environment together in one. Like, you know, if I forget whether Sapflinger or uh, or Fireweed came out first, but I believe uh, Sapfling came out first. Yeah, so that would make sense that the next time they do a card that has a creature and uh, environment creation all together in one, it is, you know, more impressive because they saw how their first PowerPoint on that chart was received. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. This is a very cautious design. And I think, you know, it ends up being fine. Um, you know, like I say, I've put it in decks before. It's, you know, just like the last few event cards have been, it's kind of a two of, maybe a one of, you know, you don't really want it in a ton of circumstances, but it can be a pretty solid two for one if you um, if it's in the right circumstance. And um, as I say, Savvy Place can kind of pull its own weight um, in terms of like, blanking cards in your opponent's deck uh, in an interesting way. Yeah, and there's not a lot of uh, attack shrinkage stuff that the plant has uh, available to them. But I guess that's not really... Like, it's not as amazing as it is on the zombie side, because zombies have a lot more stuff like Rolling Stone and Weed Spray that take advantage of shrinking attack, whereas the pool of plant things that do the that are smaller. Yeah, plus Team Up kind of lets them have kind of a wider blast radius on those kinds of things. Sure. Yeah, I wonder if there will be a, um, like, sort of like how plants don't get deadly, but it seems like they might have more access to bouncing opponent's stuff than zombies do. Um, you know, we might see um, some angle where shrinkage of power is is used as a as a plant control mechanism. Yeah, and we could also see like uh, more things that get better the more environments get played, like uh, like Cosmos, like more mm. things along that to the point where like environment rows could become a thing in a set or two down the line. Yeah, you know, like whenever an environment comes in, draw a card kind of thing, that would go a long way towards mitigating the risk of environments. Yeah, or like give this thing 2-2 two, two in your hand each time an environment gets played this game. Yeah, so Zeppling is, is fine. I wouldn't tell you that you're doing it wrong if you chose to grind it up for the Sparks. Um, but I think that with some creative deck building, um, it can be good in a in a mid rangey like Beta Caratina style deck. All right, and now for the Galactic Gardens part of the Galactic Gardens episode, and we're going to take a dive into the first full set of PBC Heroes cards to come out. You know, event cards were a thing beforehand, but this was the first major update of the game and not just in cards but also this was the start of the monthly ladder resetting mm-hmm. yeah it happened uh, first week of june 2017 so I, I guess that's why we're on season 13 right now is because it's been a little over a year and uh in addition to being the first supplemental booster product it was the first and only time we've ever added new heroes to the game so uh beta caratina and 
huge Giganticus uh, were added in in kind of a weird way. They were in like their own separate packs, um, and so that what that has led to is that a lot of people still don't have them. You can't just craft them for gems, uh, which is a little unfortunate. But um, just like Beta Caratina and Huge Giganticus, the power level of the set was like really extremely high, um, and I think we're going to get to that a bunch when we talk about the specific cards. Yeah, a lot of really powerful stuff, a lot of archetype-defining cards that got printed, a lot of archetype-boosting cards that came out, and a lot of fancy new keywords that enabled all sorts of new gameplay, first and foremost being Conjure. The ability for a card to create another card to go into your hand at random, which is one of those things that I really love about a digital card game that has that, like, taking advantage of that luxury that a a paper card game can't do, where you just like, oh, I'm going to add a random card of this type to my hand. Like, you can't really make that luxury in, like, a a paper magic game, but Mm -hmm. this game does a really good job of taking advantage of that. Yeah, and it's a controversial mechanic to be sure. You know, a lot of people for whom RNG is kind of a four-letter word will say that, you know, you lose a game to a conjured card and then you feel like the game was stolen from you. Or the people who want to get, you know, really tactical and really specific about the cards that they play around, um, conjure, like a single conjuration, really gives them a whole lot of stuff to have to think about, you know. And so for people that really want to try to map out every single avenue that their opponent can take conjure is really kind of a, a big workload it is a, uh, a a rolling snowball of randomness that gets uh harder to deal with faster than linearly you know going back to hearthstone real quick like the Kabbalist tome card which is a five mana randomly conjure three spell cards and of those three you get some of those might be able to conjure you more cards and uh, that is kind of what the conjure huge giganticus deck is about right now just being able to draw cards into creating more cards into creating more cards and just never running out of cards to play and winning that way. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about some of the strong decks that came from this card release uh, a little bit later. Um, but yeah, Conjure, I think, you know, if they're, if you're going to say one word about Galactic Gardens, Conjure would be it. Um, and I think if you were going to say a second word besides Conjure, it would be Environment. Um, this was the debut of the Environment card type. Uh, which is not a creature. It goes in a lane. There can only be one of them in a lane, so if there's an environment there already, someone plays another one, it gets paved over, um, which is a very interesting sort of gameplay interaction. It means that they're a lot riskier to play, and you know they have all kinds of interesting effects. Uh, and the environment and conjure mechanics have both been um, evergreened, as they say, which is that they've been returned to in, in subsequent card releases. I like that the environment cards are hexagon-shaped. You know, they had the creatures are squares and tricks are round, and I I liked the fact that they continued that card-shaping theme as, like, a third type of card got introduced. Yeah, I also like that they didn't try to staple on some other timing restrictions. Like, you know, they come out at the same time that tricks do. So plants play theirs in the creature phase, and zombies play them at the end of the turn, Um, which, you know, it's kind of doesn't try to, to mess with the fundamental asymmetry of the game, and, you know, it makes it possible to have, like, combat-relevant abilities on environments in a way that I think is really cool. They had to pick a way to dole that out. Like, I think that environments tip the scales a little bit in the zombie side just because you get the ability to... You get the first chance to pave over something your opponent does right away as a zombie, and zombies get the cheaper environments, it turns out. Like, plant environments cost 2, 3, and 4 where zombie environments tend to cost one, two, or three. Yeah, and I think that that is a this is a reasonable time to take a detour into the power level of the of the set of the 100 cards in Galactic Gardens. 
Seven of them had to be nerfed, several of which had to be nerfed, like, multiple times. And I think uh, when we talk about nerfed multiple times, the thing that everybody thinks of is Medulla Nebula, the good old brain lane. Nowadays is a three-cost gourmet brainy environment that says when you play a zombie here, get plus two brains this turn. It used to cost two, and it used to make three. Uh, So it was just, like, mondo, ridiculous ramp um, that would allow you to, like, you know, turbo out a defensive end, turbo out some other disgusting thing that was probably worse than a defensive end, at least at the time. Um, And uh, it really changed the gameplay of the game kind of for the worse in a way until until the power level got reined in for those people who are like me and often decry how awesome and overpowered brainy zombies are it kind of started with medulla nebula letting you be able to play that at the end of turn two and then immediately follow it up with a brain vendor to give yourself six brains to play with on turn three and yeah and i mean add teleport into that mix and it's just it's just a mess um and you know i mean that's a that's a consequence of putting powerful control finishers in the same faction that has all the ramp. That's that's definitely a dangerous thing to try to do. Like, the ability to get more resources faster than you're supposed to is pretty much always one of the best things to do in card games. And, uh, you know, Medulla Nebula is, is pretty much that in a nutshell. The other keywords coming out uh, being Double Strike, which used to only exist uh, for Bananasaurus Rex, which you know, opens up any kind of bonus attack-related stuff, So, because all of those second attacks count as bonus attacks. And then um, Overshoot, which is a, a fun new way for Crazy to do damage. Like, I remember back in our, uh, our Class Warfare segment about Crazy, we were talking about how Crazy is the class that does damage, but doing damage is kind of generic and boring, and, you know, there need to be different ways that a card can do damage, and one of those new ways was Overshoot. The over- overshoot is one that I like because it's got some. It's a mechanical callback to the uh, Plants vs Zombies tower defense game. So there were a number of levels in PVZ where, like the, it would be like on a slope or whatever, and you know, like the, um, you'd have plants that would be lobbing stuff over sort of the hill, um, or you would have zombies that would either try to fly over top of you, or there would be like someone standing like at the edge of the lane. And, and just, like, lobbing stuff back, like, kind of behind enemy lines. Um, and that, you know, was a cool gameplay twist in the original PvZ. And Overshoot does some interesting stuff in PvZ Heroes as well. And it also uh, interacts with any kind of cards that have an effect that proc when they damage the hero. Because it gives them a new way to do that, even if there's a creature blocking the way. Namely, uh, Dr. Spacetime, Abracadaver things of that sort, making them more powerful if you throw Overshoot on top of that. Yeah, there's a the Crazy's super rare environment. We'll talk about the sort of the, the cycles of cards a little bit later. Crazy's super rare environment gave zombies Overshoot, so it was a, it was a new way to, to go face. Uh, and then the final keyword was, just like Double Strike existed already, but they decided to keyword it was Hunt. Hunt was on, uh, I think Dog Walker was the only one in the base set that had Hunt. And uh, they decided to um, sort of, they recognized some more design space in it and chose to put it on keywords so that they could then replicate it on multiple cards without you having to read so many words. And I think that that's the right call. I think that Hunt is a very interesting mechanic. We talked about that a good bit last time. And, um, you know, we've we've still not seen a ton of it. The two Hunt cards on the zombie side are the Cyborg Zombie and then Intergalactic Bounty Hunter. Um, and then on the plant side, we've got um, Corn Dog. And so, you know... Technically, there are two cyborgs with Hunt on the zombie side. Yes, that's right. There's the 3-2 there's the that dies into the 5-5, five five, and then there's the 5-5. Five five. 
And uh, those are cool. You know, like, Hunt is is not the most sort of splashy mechanic, and so, like, you know, it's not something that they would be jonesing to put on a, a big marquee card. Um, but it's very interesting and tactical. gives you a lot of things to think about. And uh, I'm glad that they decided to run with it more than they did in the core set. Yeah, it's nice when uh, mechanics come out that are defensively focused because so often when you make a whole bunch of power creep, it turns into like accelerating out aggro and just being able to pile on more damage a lot faster. But with Hunt, you're able to focus more on plant versus zombie combat instead of trying to hit face as fast and as frequent as possible. Yeah, it's also an interesting mix of upside and downside, which leads to interesting decision points. Um, okay, so let's talk about um, some of the cards that spawned decks all of their own. And uh, Mike, you mentioned this card before, but the first one that I would like to talk about is Dr. Spacetime. Yeah, uh, Conjure, not only is it a new keyword, it is a new deck type, thanks in large part to this 2-cost 1-5, who is a seemingly never-ending source of new cards, and it plays greatly with uh, tools that the Sneaky Hero has, so things like Smoke Bomb, or anything that bounces and returns to their hand, or the Laser Base Alpha environment, just a, a way to draw cards, but, um, but not draw cards from your deck, but it is like... Like, a lot of the Conjure cards are, you play it, and you get the card, and that's all the value you get from it. But Dr. Spacetime, you can get some value from it every turn, or at least try to. Yeah, Dr. Spacetime is like an engine. And the interesting thing about this is, there is an equivalent card on the plant side. So so Dr. Spacetime has two abilities. When it connects, you Conjure a Galactic Gardens card, and whenever you Conjure a card, it costs one less. There is a plant card called Captain Cucumber, which was definitely one of the best plant cards in the set. And it was a three-cost, one-four that says cards you conjure cost one less, and when it connects, conjure a legendary card. Well, and, when it does damage. So, like, it doesn't yeah, that, really that's damage. Right. But... That's right, correct. And so the they both have equivalent abilities, more or less, but on Dr. Spacetime, the conjuration discount is really the important thing. You know, if you're able to connect with Dr. Spacetime and get an extra card out of the deal, that's great, but, like... You really want to have Dr. Spacetime and play like a triplication or a cosmic dude and get and get your discount that way. Whereas with Captain Cucumber, you were most interested in conjuring the legendaries that it would give you off of combat. Um, you, you weren't quite so much proactively conjuring a bunch of stuff and getting a discount. At least that's not where I have found the power center of the card to be. Agreed. I guess the archetype spawner I will choose to spotlight first is Heart Choke which gave birth to healing decks becoming a thing and uh, really invigorated the solar class. Like, before Heart of Choke came out, and with that, the ability to deal damage equal to however much you just healed for, like, before that, healing was a way to keep yourself alive and not a very interesting one. Like, you know, second best taco of all time was not thought of much before it became a, a proc to uh, to trigger your Heart of Choke and the new, uh, one of the environments that came out, the venus flytrap planet which let you create like an infinite loop going between healing and damaging until you're healed for full and your opponent is almost dead yes this uh that combo between heart choke and venus flytrap planet was the source of many of the nerfs that took place it was actually a two-stage nerf it's like the thing that game designers like hate the most where like they nerf something and then the nerf wasn't good enough so they have to nerf it again like, you know, that's just like, oh, we pulled one of your wisdom teeth, but you got to come back to get the next one. It's like, really? You couldn't have just done that all at once? Um, and uh, Heart of Choke was, was busted enough that the, the infinite combo was, um, 
was just too easy to set up. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm still kind of of mixed feelings about that. I mean, the the Venus flytrap planet nerf was that the the plant on it has to survive in order to get lifelink. And then Hardachoke was, Hardachoke has to survive in order to deal the damage. I thought that the nerf to Hardachoke was much more reasonable because, like, it would go down to zero and then it would continue to go. And I thought that that was fine. But with Venus Flytrap Planet, you really narrow the functionality of Venus Flytrap Planet if whatever thing is on it has to already be big enough to survive combat. Because if you've got a big thing that's surviving combat, chances are you're doing okay. Like, the the number of circumstances where you've got a big thing that isn't going to die in combat and you're also losing are circumstances where a four-mana environment is probably too slow anyway. Like, you're probably getting blitzed down by, um, by an aggro deck. Um, and in that case, like, why not let Venus Flytrap Planet have, like, a little bit more marginal utility? Um, but, I don't know. That's... I, that. Go ahead. I think it had to do with Galactic Cactus, another awesome new card from this set, and the fact that it did one damage to everything when it died, and that would proc Venus Flytrap Planet a whole bunch, and, like, if you had and, a... And, like, Pepper MD. Yeah, if you had a Pepper MD in lane four, it would, you know, suddenly become, like, a 30-30 by the time the animation finished doing all the damage. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of busted. Um, that's, that I think might be maybe better served by nerfing Pepper MD, but like, you know, if they want to push something, if, if they want to push the healing decks and stuff, then the creatures are definitely the right place to put the power points instead of the non-creature permanents. Um, and so, you know, that's a defensible, that's a defensible point. Um, that was just one of the, pretty much the only nerf in Galactic Gardens that kind of rubbed me the wrong way was, um, was Venus Flytrap Planet. Those heal decks are still really strong, though. <laughs> like they it... are, and it's, so they 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 focus on a no, on a number of other Galactic Gardens cards, especially um, Astro Vera, one that has been has been brought up on here a bunch of times as like a great finisher to kind of like Reno Jackson them. And um... yeah, and with Heart of Choke, that will do ten damage in one block meter hit, which is really insane. All right, my next choice is kind of cheating because I'm picking two cards. Uh, it is Astro Shroom and Planet of the Grapes. Uh, so those exist independently as very powerful cards in their own right, but the Astro Shroom Planet of the Grapes combo um, is the the core of the Cycle Cap deck. Um, it's why it's called Cycle Cap, because you draw a bunch of cards instead of just, like, machine gun your stupid face cap, which is what it does otherwise. And, yeah, you just kind of swarm and go wide, um, and Planet of the Grapes giving the whatever creatures on it, when it connects, it draws a card... Astro Shroom machine guns them to the face, so then, like, every creature cycles, and then you just overwhelm them with card advantage. No argument here. It would be cool to find out the first person who discovered this awesome combo and really, like, you know, whoever built the first cycle cap deck, you know, you deserve some kind of some kind of trophy for that, because that is a, a hell of a combo for sure, and it definitely reinvigorated any kind of mushroom swarmy token decks as a... An ability to like do one damage to your hero with bullseye is a really powerful effect, as we've seen with uh, future cards like Quick Draw Con Man, mm-hmm. and the ability to just like rapidly fire on all of that is crazy. And then you know the fact that you're just throwing card draw on top of that is, makes it pretty ridiculous. And uh, Planet of the Grapes is great too; really good for a cheap environment. It, uh, it's probably a better invi- a better smarty environment to put in your deck than Sap Flinger, as we talked about before. You might just be better off playing uh, Planet of the Grapes and some four cost dude. Um, and it's I guess one final thing I'd say about that is um, making it so that whenever a creature comes in, they take one bullseye damage and you draw a card is basically the most busted possible effect to staple onto a creature entering the battlefield. Um, I guess dealing one to 
their entire board would also like if it did that too then that would be strictly better um but you know in terms of like things that flash a warning in front of professional game designers dealing uninteractive damage and proactively filling your hand by doing a thing that you want to do anyway is like star trek alarm going off like you know we need to be really sure that this is okay before we let people do this because if we if it's not okay it's going to break the game wide open and you know i think that despite the fact that planet of the grapes and or astro shroom are probably the plant cards that if we're going to get nerfed are probably in most need of nerfing maybe briar rose too but they have been able to be dealt with by and large by the by the metagame i mean psycho cap is a very good deck but it's not completely unbeatable by any means there have been a number of cars that come out since then like sneezing zombie and stuff that really do a number on on cards like astro shroom and so i would like to applaud the game designers for you know managing to thread a very dangerous needle like they basically took a needle that was radioactive and then set it on fire and then tried to run a thread through it um and they managed to do so without doing too much damage to everything else uh and so i think that that's pretty cool yeah there are definitely cards you can put in your deck to help deal with a cycle cap kind of deck so things like planetary gladiator which will <laughs> nullify the damage and the draw is is wonderful and like quick draw command which punishes cry. them for drawing yeah like they're if if you're that mad at cycle cap you can build a deck to deal with cycle cap and that is a sign of a good powerpoint the card i want to spotlight next and uh this is a little bit of, of a curveball but i'm going with the cosmic bean Excellent. It, yeah, it's not a super rare or legendary like some of the other cards we've talked about already, but it is pretty archetype-defining in that bean decks before Galactic Gardens came out were like a joke, like that was a meme, and the Cosmic Bean became such a good source of additional bean draw that it made Admiral Navy Bean-focused decks a lot more viable, and you know, also just being an alright play on turn two where... You're able to block something and then draw a card off of it. Like, that is a totally fine PowerPoint. Like, a, a two-cost conjure card is awesome. Definitely. Cosmic Bean is just so low downside that it's kind of ridiculous. Like, you have, on the absolute lowest end, you have a pair of chump blockers. Um, you have a two-mana chump blocker that draws you another chump blocker that's probably going to be pretty cheap because beans generally are, are on the lower end of cost. And you have an enabler for a very powerful build around me that was just kind of like not quite there yet with Admiral Navy Bean. Uh, Cosmic Bean just like really kind of poured gasoline on something that later took off super fast. Yeah, and getting a bean card with team up can be pretty formidable too. If you end up with something like a bean counter or a black eyed pea with team up, and, you know, you're able to protect those long enough for them to grow to crazy, insane size. That can be enough to win you a game sometimes. Yeah, and actually, um, thank you for mentioning that, because it's not just that you get two chump blockers. If you have an awesome creature, like, that's down to one or two health, and it's going to die to some dumb thing that your opponent plays in front of it, you can block with the Cosmic Bean, and all of a sudden, your giant thing sticks around. So, like, when we did the... Um, the class warfare on smarty and we were talking about team up one of the things i said was team up is this mechanic that has its claws like in everything like it isn't just that it lets you have two things in a lane it's also like crypto card advantage because you can 
you can suddenly think that this trade that you thought was going to be my crappy thing for their awesome creature was like my crappy thing for their crappy thing. And they've still got their awesome creature. You know, that's that's a very powerful interaction point that's present in this game. And Cosmic Bean is pretty much the poster child for exploiting that interaction point. Okay, since we're picking um, some powerful yet medium cards, I'm going to go with Tactical Cuke, the six mana destroy all plants and zombies on the ground uh, in the solar class. Um, and Tactical Cuke is, as I've mentioned, I have an affinity for this kind of game mechanic where it's like upside and downside. So you destroy all their stuff, but if you don't interact with it correctly, it'll hurt you as well. That is um, that is an interesting deck building uh, restriction. It is an interesting gameplay event. And it is a effect that the game really kind of needed, in my opinion, which was an unconditional multiple creature destruction effect, which Magic players would call that a Wrath. Hearthstone players might call that a Wipe. Um, but this is, you know, a way to be like, there's a bunch of nasty stuff going on on the ground lane. Let's just kill all of it. I like this. I like it being on the heavier side of solar. Like, it is a way to take advantage of generating extra sun. It kind of encroaches on the lawnmower that targets one thing on the ground, but it is mm-hmm. so much better than that card. You know, like... You can still play a thing on Heights or in the Water Lane to play around this card, but it can still take out a whole bunch of stuff. Sometimes I find myself wishing it had some kind of slightly more expensive version that also dealt with Gravestones, because, like, thematically, if you're dropping a nuke, you should be able to get the stuff that's six feet under the ground, too, but that's that's probably a little bit too much power packed into that. I just... I wish Solar had something they could do about Gravestones sometimes, but Tactical Cuke is awesome, and it's it's not frontline of the metagame where people expect it to come out of every Solar deck, like a like a Briar Rose or even a Cobb Cannon, but uh, it can still be a really nasty surprise and a great way to to get yourself back in the game and deal with some big Gargantuars. Yeah, and the last thing I'll say about it is that it destroys all plants and zombies on the ground, but what it doesn't touch is environments. And so it is a it was a cool way to kind of put some extra power points in the new card type by making a wrath that didn't hit that type, and it interacts with its with its buddy buddy, the solar super rare environment, the solar winds, when it's the the two man environment, if at the end of turn if there are no zombies here, make a sunflower. And one of the best feelings in this game, in my opinion, is to tactical cuke wipe the board, and then have a Solar Winds just, like, get you that little extra bit of value. Gives you a team-up thing for your Cobb Cannon or your Tricorn or something like that, um, and it's just, like, a way to be like, hey, guess what? This is symmetrical, but actually I'm out ahead, um, which is sort of a fun, like, gotcha moment to have. Yeah, it's really heartwarming to see life return to the Earth after you've <laughs> nuked everything on it. <laughs> right. Yes, for sure. Cockroaches and sunflowers will be all that's left. I guess next I'll talk about, you know, maybe not one of the most powerful cards in the deck, but possibly my favorite, being the Intergalactic Warlord, the mm. the uh, hardy 5-brain 2-2 legendary that says when you play it, give your zombies plus 1 attack, plus 1 health for the rest of the game. And I, I may have said this before on the podcast, but I really like that kind of creative liberty a digital card game has where you can just take all of the numbers attached to your creatures and just increase them without having to deal with extra counters to put on them or anything like that. It just, you know, it buffs the numbers up and it shows them there in a nice little buffed up font for you. And that that feels really nice and it feels like really satisfying as a level of legendary power. For sure. It's, it's, a, it's an effect that pretty much only 
would ever happen on a legendary so you know it feels legendary in that way and that's great and it's also because this is an end of the battlefield effect and not just like while i'm alive the rest of your team has plus one plus one that means you can get cute with rebuying it so if you bounce it somehow if you put it in a gravestone with the that's i believe a hardy superpower is like a dude hides in a gravestone draw a card neptuna is the only one who can do that it's a sneaky one. Oh, okay well uh, whatever. You know, yeah similarly like neptuna can also play mixed up gravedigger yeah that's so awesome you know like like this this is like the coolest effect the coolest comes into play effect to rebuy off of the many ways you're capable of doing that and yeah so intergalactic warlord despite having had my ass kicked by it like a whole bunch of times there was a very long time where i didn't own this card and i was like kind of jealous of the people that had it this is an a plus design yeah no argument here and it's got a cool mustache so you can get it off frozen mustache and it's a pirate yeah, so you can get it off of Plankwalker. My final pick for Notable Galactic Gardens cards is the Humble Biodome Botanist. Two mana, two three, mustache science zombie. When played, make a one one plant with no abilities. And you get to choose the lane where it goes. So I think that this is really cool because it is a very interesting deck building challenge. So it helps you get extra value out of cards like Vampire that want to trample over plants. Or cards like the Newspaper Guy that want to get damaged by plants. Um, and it's an interesting effect because giving your opponent a crappy creature is is kind of not really on any other cards like there's you know there's um the great zucchini but the great zucchini is basically just zombot 1000 like comes in kills your opponent's whole team the fact that they get one ones is kind of way less relevant than the fact that they lost their entire board full of giant dudes this is like proactively give your opponent a crappy dude and figure out a way to make that good for you it's it's a very um clever and very interesting design to me yeah, and there's definitely a a lot of different ways this can manifest its ability to help you out. Like you you don't just want to play the one one in front of the biodome botanist. That is a that is a noob trap. But if you can yes. play it on heights when you expect your opponent to have Lily the Valley in their deck, you can just shut out the value from that entirely. Or if the if you're they're playing like Pear Paradise, you can just you know give them two one ones to keep them from playing something a lot more impressive on that. It was a lot more of a of a shutdown ability before evolution became a thing. Very because, true. You know, now that might just become fodder for your elderberry or your blockbuster, which is a a little bit disheartening. But still, having a a one attack thing that hits your block meter over and over again—that's really good for you. Like you want it to do one damage and fill your block meters so you can get those superpowers. And Biodome Botanist is great for that. Totally. It it just slots itself into a very cool place in this game's design where it interacts with all that stuff that you just said and and you know especially with evolution you know it's just sort of like makes the upside downside calculation that much more complicated it's like well it's going to proc my block meter for no damage that's great for me it's i'm going to trample over it that's great for me but you know that might suddenly be like super super bad for me if i think that my opponent has an awesome way to evolve evolve off of it and so that like rewards you for understanding what your opponent's deck might be um, it's sort of another deck building angle where it's like, okay, I'm playing Biodome Botanist. Does that mean I need to tech against Elderberry? You know, it, it's a it's a very decision dense card while also being a cool like, hey, new player, here's an effect that you can understand thing, which is like the the hallmark of a of a multifaceted and and very skillful design. So a number one on that one too. Have you ever had the Biodome Botanist? Uh... The one one and what tribe it is matter and come back to haunt you. Like if you had like a a mushroom come up in a mushroom deck or like a flower come up in a briar rose deck, have you faced I've that? I've never I've never been briar rosed by it. Um, although that would be pretty dirty. Um, I have definitely given them a mushroom when they have a punish room or something on the board. Yeah, that's that's also in play. 
And for my last uh, Game Changer spotlight, I'm going to go with the Quasar Wizard, the mm. legendary crazy zombie, the the two-mana 2-2 two, two, that says when you play it next to a zombie, conjure a superpower. And this was the first time in the game you could conjure superpowers. And uh, I found, like, as, as I've played more and more of the game, I've gotten a lot more respect for Conjurer's superpower as being super, super irritating to play against. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because, like, unlike a regular Conjurer, you're not limited by conjuring a thing that is too expensive for them to play. And the floor of the card they're getting is way higher than, like, you know, Conjure whatever tribe, and maybe you'll get a one-mana 1-1. One, one. Like, you're going to get a really good, cheap card that you'll, you know, be able to play either this turn or, you know, maybe next turn if you if they play it on turn two. It is really terrifying to know, like, oh man, they drew Boogaloo's superpower and they're able to heal themselves beyond lethal, or they drew the Smashes one and they're able to kill my big huge threat, or like any number of things that can ruin my day. And it, it's another one of those things where you can buy it back and pop it pop it into a gravestone and get it again, yep. or bounce it back and be able to get another one and Crazy heroes usually want to, or, you know, they usually have access to cheap creatures, so it's not that hard to fill the requirement for it. It felt weird, you know, when it came out, Binary Stars was the other crazy legendary, which seemed very uh, tribe-defining, being like, oh man, double all the damage, that is insane. But um, I think Quasar Wizard has brought me more terror than Binary Stars has on the ladder. Yeah, definitely, like, Binary Stars comes sometimes pops out of a gravestone and then kills you, but Quasar Wizard, I would bet dollars to donuts that has won more games. You're very right when you say that the conjuring a superpower is like way, way more swingy and, and that the floor is quite high. I mean, like, you know, with the exception of like the, the heal your hero for six kind of thing, which still has its own use case, pretty much every superpower is going to be a two for one. Um, and some of them can be a pretty gnarly two for one. And, um, yeah, Quasar Wizard is another design I like where, where it's like, it's a small creature that it isn't going to win you the game on its own, but it is just like an undeniably super, super powerful effect. It's like magic players will will recognize, you know, cards like, I don't know, Voice of Resurgence, Delver of Secrets, like tiny little things that definitely put in way, they, they fight way above their weight class in terms of killing you, but it is, at the end of the day, just a tiny creature that does a thing. And it, and it just sort of, like, raises the power level of the format without requiring you to throw haymakers, I think is what I'm trying to say. Um, and, and I think that that leads to sort of, it, it really rewards players who, like, want to get in there with all the tactics and play around everything, because it's, like, gives you so many interesting tools. So many interesting tools. Just like the rest of Galactic Gardens. This is not by any means the end of the awesome game-changing cards, but uh, a lot of the other great ones on this list we've talked about a lot before, like Pecanolith and Space Cowboy and Galactic Cactus and Teleport Zombie. Yeah, I wasn't going to mention Teleport Zombie because I think that that's really the only, like, stinker in the design space, whereas, like, Teleportation Zombie is just, like, so ridiculously good and is just so all the way cheating when it's in play that it just doesn't feel fun to me. Like, teleport, I can kind of make an argument for teleport because it is singleton and it is, you know, powerful, but, like, something has to be the best. But, like, goddamn, teleportation zombie. What were you guys thinking? I think I kind of feel that way about Dark Matter Dragonfruit as far as, the, you know, the helplessness of seeing also it fair. on the other side of the field. But the difference is... uh 
six in their cost as far as how yeah. likely you are Dark, to be able to play them. Dark Matter Dragonfruit comes out at the end of the game, and then you lose when that happens. Teleportation Zombie comes out at the very beginning of the game, and then you lose when it happens. Like, have you ever seen your opponent get a Teleportation Zombie off of the, like, summoning superpower? The, like, oh, make a random dude that costs two feeling. or less? It's, that is just, like, I want to throw my phone out the window when that happens. Well, guess, hope you can deal with this 1-5. Like, how are you going to kill that? You're not. Yeah, I, um, I, I don't know how big of a die I just rolled, but I feel like I just rolled a one. Yeah, you're like, you were you rolled that that D100 that's just like a golf ball that, like, you can't even roll. Somehow you managed to roll it, and it's a one. So, like, oops. Well, that... That's not to say that Galactic Gardens is super awesome and super fun and, and made the game a million times better for creating it. Um, You know, the fact that there there was some, some bustedness that crept in with the nerfed cards and stuff and that teleportation zombie uh, really kind of shouldn't be there, doesn't take away from the fact that the game is a million times better for Galactic Gardens having come out. Absolutely. One of the one of my favorite memories since uh, since I've been playing this game, or, you know, at least of the ones that happened before the podcast started, was when this new batch of cards came out with all the new keywords and heroes and all the cool space stuff and all the great space puns. That's right, yeah. There, there's a lot of fun little Easter eggs. There's like the, the cool bean is Han Solo frozen in carbonite. Um, you Onion know. rings looks like Saturn. Yeah. Uh, you know, a reference to that planet Saturn. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's all kinds of cool stuff. There's like a Donnie and Marie thing happening with binary stars. All kinds of stuff. I was surprised that there wasn't like a more explicit like Cowboy Bebop kind of reference. Um, because that certainly was my... Um, it's the spa- It's space, but also... There's cowboys and pirates and bounty hunters and stuff. Cultural touchstone of my youth. Um, and uh, there's, like, the bounty hunter, but, like, they don't really look like anybody from Bebop. And then there's Space Cowboy, I mean, he's, like, a cowboy. Yeah, Space Cowboy is Malcolm Reynolds from Firefly, right? I say that oh, sure. only because yeah. he's wearing a brown coat. Yeah, that's legit. Um, yeah, I'm I'm into that. And we hope oh, well, you're into that, too. <laughs> oh, by the way... Uh, the flavor text of Space Cowboy is only in the big wide sky will he find serenity. Yeah. So, sure, there you go. <laughs> uh, who doesn't like references? Hopefully hopefully you guys, because you'll get to listen to us be dorks about this game next week too. And if you would like to weigh in and be a dork about this game, you can get in touch with us at shroomfor2podcast at gmail.com. Totally, and uh, be sure to check out our YouTube page at shroomfor2podcast to check out those commentary tracks. Let us know in the email or in the comment thread on the Reddit if um, sort of like reviewing user-submitted games is something that you would like to see us do. Um, The logistics of that might be kind of tough, but um, I think it would be cool to sort of... um, I'm a big fan of Day 9. Day 9 kind of got famous for doing things like that. And, um, you know, it's like I just love dissecting tactical elements of gameplay. And until then, I've been Mike. And I've been Taylor. Have a good week, everybody. Let's get a bite at the restaurant at the end of the podcast.